morning, good afternoon, good evening, you amazing discernibillions listening to this podcast. This is an audio podcast, something that we don't do very often, and today we are talking about the Twitter files. Now, before you tune out, uh, yes, we all know Twitter is a bit of a cesspool, but uh, the purchase of Twitter by Elon Musk has raised some absolutely revelations, revelations of big tech censorship uh, we're actually seeing behind the curtain. So stick with us as we explore what this means for the future of all communication channels, really, in our censored world today. Before we get into the Twitter files, let me explain what we're doing here with this audio podcast. So I realize that a lot of you people listening here on Spotify mainly, but also on Apple Podcasts, on Breaker, on on Amazon Podcasts. Uh, this uh, podcast goes out to all of those places through our RSS feed. Uh, a lot of you don't realize, uh, we don't see what we primarily do. Uh, probably 80% of our work is creating content for social media. So we take our long form interviews and we chop them up into smaller segments because uh, one, it helps refer people back to the interview. So let's say we spend a whole lot of time getting Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford in and we interview him. That's one hour or two hours of talking that you can all listen to here on Spotify. But then that's it. It just disappears and there's 100 views. Uh, and so we try to expose such good quality content as many times as possible by cutting up little two minute clips and putting that out on social. And those little clips on social media, so Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, um, Gab, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Rumble, Odyssey, Locals, they often have far more views than the actual long form recording. So it's good for us, obviously, to get more metrics, but mainly to get the message out. You know, if we have someone with an important message to tell like that or any one of the other important guests you've heard on this podcast, the best chance of them getting their thoughts heard is to cut them up into small segments. So if you're listening here, you don't get to see a lot of what we talk about and a lot of what we do. For example, these Twitter files and how important they are. Uh, if you'd like to follow us, you can through Instagram stories is a very good way, but mainly Twitter. We're investing a lot on there now since the Elon takeover because they've dropped their COVID misinformation policy uh, and, they've, and they're winding back a lot of those censorship policies, which is great. Also, we will start doing these. I will get on here and give you a specific topic to update you on the news. And today it's the Twitter files. And I'll, I'll, I know I'm in the ears of people driving. I'm in, in your ears of people doing labor work, or people of, you know, uh, labor, not political, uh, brickies and so on, uh, who have got me in their ears listening. Well, I hope this will be a, a nice source for you to hear some of the news in a calm way uh, and really go deeper than the news. You know what we're all about here in Discernible. It's not about just telling you what happened, but asking why. What's the psychology behind that and all the other silly curiosity things that come out of my mind. So you'll need to uh, get used to skipping these if you don't want to hear my voice. I totally understand. I don't hold it against you, uh, but I'll try and mark them all as something like ed editorial or something so you know that it's just me talking. It's not a guest. Let's get into these crazy Twitter files. So it's called the Twitter files because uh, Elon Musk, who invented, uh, well, there's there's uh, speculation and, and fights, history wars over who invented Tesla, the car company. But anyway, 
He's uh, taken, he's built Tesla, the car company, and SpaceX and PayPal and the Boring Company and so on. He's gone and he's raised a lot of money, used a lot of his own, and purchased Twitter. So this is this is huge. You've got a public company who uh, was owned by the public and it, through shareholders, and he's purchased it all back. And now he has his own little kingdom, his own little fiefdom, his own little dictatorship over there at Twitter. Now, putting aside all of the potential negatives, and there are some, of course, over um, what he's been doing over at Twitter, on, as a net a net positive of the world is there is what he's doing with Twitter. He is doing such good work uh, that we we can't uh, overlook that. So the most important good work he's doing is fighting child uh, trafficking and child pornography. He's been able to achieve in forty eight hours over at Twitter what took well in ten years they'd never even achieved at Twitter. They never stamped out to this extent the level of child exploitation material. So you have to wonder about their motives over there. So he's doing some good work there. But these Twitter files, because he now owns the company, he can go in and say, Show me the records of censorship. Show me what decisions you made. And he's decided against honestly, his his own personal uh I mean Twitter could be up for some serious lawsuits right now. And so he's putting himself and his company at risk by publishing their dirty, airing their dirty laundry, opening the this closet full of skeletons. Uh, so that's that's interesting. On the other hand, there is a profit motive. He's trying to make Twitter the most uh, viral and and seen place. He wants to create it into the next YouTube, next Facebook, uh, and extending the ability of Twitter to do um, you know long form video content. And that's why we're investing over there because they've done things like dropped their COVID misinformation policy and and so on. And we're also not shadow banned over there, which is nice. Uh, so these Twitter files, he's come out in stages. So there's um, there's part one, there's part two, and there's part three so far. And part one, uh, which we won't really cover today, is the Hunter Biden laptop story. He showed how uh, people colluded from the government, colluding in with, with uh, big tech, with Twitter, to suppress the information, the story, which was um, in the New York Post. So that was part one. Now, that was released through Matt Taibbi, a journalist over there in the US and on Twitter. Now, part two is what we're talking about primarily today. And I just noticed as I hit record on this podcast that part three has dropped, which is the banning of Donald Trump. And we'll do that live. I haven't read it yet. I'll read those live with you in this podcast. So number two first. So number two was dropped by Barry Weiss. Barry Weiss was a, uh, a writer for the New York Times, and she famously and publicly quit there in protest whilst uh you know putting penning a letter to say why she quit is because the new york times had become so ideologically corrupt and censored uh censoring themselves and playing to the mad twitter crowd pre-elon days and so she was famous for doing that and she created uh something called common sense with barry weiss one of very few email subscriptions i highly recommend you it's free that you um, subscribe to it's a great way of getting decent news on what's going on the other one is of course the brownstone institute another free email circular you should sign up to and the third one just quickly is reclaim the net reclaim the net is a very good one to watch in terms of um, just free email about what's going on in the world in terms of surveillance and uh, digital identities and cryptocurrencies and so on okay part two barry weiss drops the twitter files part two this is all about twitter's secret blacklists okay so for a long time, uh, forever, people were told that Twitter does not shadow ban. So we have, for example, uh, Jack, um, what's his name? Can't even remember now. The CEO, Jack Dorsey, the, the founder and the CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, 
the original CEO. He uh, has come out in 20, I think it was 18, but a number of years ago. Yep, that's right. 20, there's no date on this one. Uh, let's click in. I haven't got a date. I think it's 2017, 2018. He said, following up on this with a lot more detail, we don't shadow ban and we certainly don't shadow ban based on political viewpoints. Now, what is shadow banning that he's claiming we don't do? Well, back in the 2017, 2018 post in the Trump years, basically, people noticed that their accounts were being suppressed and effectively being banned or partially banned without them knowing. Thus, the word shadow, shadow banned. And that that is certainly the case with us. We, we've actually got screenshots of, for example, Facebook uh, shadow banning us, but it's not so shadow. They literally sent us a message saying your account is being reduced in people's feeds. Your distribution is being reduced and fewer people will see your post because you continue to contravene our community standards on medical misinformation, which is really sad because we at Discernible don't, we rarely publish our own views. It's all about our guests. But anyway, uh, so this shadow banning thing is real, has happened for a long time, but it's so rare that you get the receipts to prove it, like Facebook actually show you, they tell you. Well, Twitter just came out all the time and said, we don't do it, we don't do it, we don't do it. Even Twitter itself said, here are the facts, we don't shadow ban. The head of uh, safety, trust and safety was Vijaya. She was uh, um, basically running the, the company instead of um, uh, instead of uh, Jack Dorsey and Parag, the CEO who came after Jack. And she also came out saying, we don't shadow ban, we don't shadow ban. She went on the Joe Rogan experience with Tim Paul and Jack. Uh, so there was one, two, three, four of them. Uh, so J- Tim Paul is a journalist from the US. Uh, Jack Dorsey was the CEO and Vijay was head of safety and trust. And there was Joe Rogan as the host. And sh- again, we don't shadow ban, we don't shadow ban, we don't shadow ban. We certainly don't do it politically. Now Elon has released through Barry Weiss, number two, screenshots and proof of them actually having blacklists to do exactly what they said they weren't doing. So let me read a couple of these uh, parts from from part two of the Twitter files uh, to, to give you an example. So Dr. J, uh, Professor Dr. Stan, uh, Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford University, who we've had on Discernible on uh, People's Project and in a live event, and I still contact um, uh, privately. He's a very nice guy, very humble guy to talk to me. Uh, so he uh, argued that COVID lockdowns would harm children. Right. And he's out now being very strong, saying you're all crazy. You know, this is one of the best epidemiologists in the world. Uh, He was noticing that he was being shadow banned and they kept on telling him and others, no, no, it's in your head. So gaslighting. No, no, you're imagining things. You're not being shadow banned. Well, here's a screenshot now of an internal system. There's an internal kind of a portal where the shadow bans are controlled. So here he is. Uh, literally been placed on a blacklist for trends. So on Twitter, when something goes well and gets amplified and is popular, it it does what we call trends. It trends. It's a trending topic. So it's a verb to trend. And he was placed on a trends blacklist. Uh, going further, there are people like Dan Bongino, who is a uh, he says a right wing talk show host. I've not watched much of his stuff. I'm not a fan of calling people left or right wing, but whatever. Right wing talk show host. He was. On, and the portal says he's on a search blacklist. So this is when you search for, say, Andrew Bogart on Twitter and his name doesn't come up. Uh, Discernible as well was search blacklisted for a while on Instagram, but is no longer anymore. Uh, he's also on a blacklist, a search blacklist. Uh, another screenshot is Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk is from Turning Point USA. 
and he was uh, blacklisted with a tag called do not amplify, do not amplify. So these are all uh, anti-narrative people speaking up, right? It, there's a pattern here. Uh, Twitter denied they were doing, sorry, I'm just reading some of these um, Barry Weiss's tweets. Twitter denied that it is doing such things. In 2018, Twitter's Vijaya Gade was the head of legal policy and trust and Kayvon Bake or head of product said, we do not shadow ban. They added, and we certainly don't shadow ban based on political viewpoints of ideal or ideology. And I've just read to you some of the screenshots I'm looking at of the internal portal where they literally shadow ban based on political viewpoints and ideology. Okay, uh, let's keep going. Okay, yes. We also have others that are showing up on these screenshots like Libs of TikTok. Libs of TikTok are an amazing account because they literally post screenshots and and videos from other people, mainly of, of they're making fun of the left wing, right? They literally just re, re, copy paste. It's kind of like garbage human on Instagram. If you follow them, he's a friend of mine here, here in Melbourne. Uh, great account made famous by Joe Rogan. They literally copy paste with minimal uh, or in the case of garbage human, zero commentary, right? These people keep getting banned. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So a left winger can post something crazy like a drag time story, a drag queen story out, right? A video saying all kids deserve to normalize drag, something like that. Nope, not banned. That's fine. As soon as Libs of TikTok or Garbage Human literally just copies that post and posts on their platform, bang, you're banned for hate speech. It's so ridiculous. So Libs of TikTok screenshot I'm looking at right now, uh, it was huge, millions of followers, right? They were escalated to a very special secret group which inside Twitter, which was called the SIP-PES, which, what does that stand for? It stands for Site Integrity Policy, SIP, comma, Policy Escalation Support, PES. So SIP-PES. This secret group included the head of legal policy and trust, which is Vijaya, and the global head of trust and safety, which is Yoel Roth, and subsequent CEOs, so Jack Dorsey and Parag Agrawi, and and a few other people were were part of SIPPES. So SIPPES here says, there's a few bans actually on uh, Libs of TikTok. There's a trends blacklist. There's a, what's that other one? I can't read that screenshot properly. Uh, there's a few bans on them, but it has a big warning saying, do not take action on this user without consulting with SIPPES. And it goes further. There's um, there's information in their uh, internal Slack messages talking about how uh, they want to ban this these uh, accounts, but they don't contravene any specific policy. They talked about libs of TikTok internally saying, look, they're not actually contravening any policy. And the people in internal messages saying, yes, but they are... Uh, still encouraging, uh, uh, what do you call it, hatred against uh, trans and LGBTIQ community. So we need to figure out a way to suppress them, even though they haven't broken our policies. So this that that's that's here in the screenshots as well. That has now over 1.4 million followers, and they were subjected to six suspensions in 2022 alone. Uh, and each time they were blocked from their page. Uh, for violating the policy against hateful conduct. But as I've just said, it's it's completely not uh, violating that policy at all. These screenshots show that they were not following policy at all and they were they're lying to people by saying, you know, we don't shadow ban and blah, blah, blah. Okay, moving on. Uh, we actually have 
in the first drop of Twitter files and a little bit in the second, uh, we have government actors, so government people, uh, emailing into Twitter and into third-party companies connected into Twitter saying, hey, you need to censor this. And they use words like, hey, flagging this for you. This is misinformation. Can we deal with it, please? And then there's emails back from Twitter and these other third-party companies who have access to Twitter ban portals saying, yep, sorted. Uh, It's just so unbelievable that we're seeing the proof that this is not a case of a private company doing whatever they want. It is literally the government often putting the pressure on Twitter and Twitter and saying, hey, you need to fix this. You need to ban this. You need to censor this. Like Jay Bhattacharya was a call, a takedown was called for of Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford uh, by Anthony Fauci. And a devastating takedown was the exact words. He said, we need a devastating takedown. Uh simply because Jay Bhattacharya was spouting 2019 version of science, you know? <laughs> anyway, so uh, there is a case here of it's not just a private company. It is literally the government uh, applying, you know, they have this whole First Amendment right to free speech and they're saying, well, look, it's not a 1A issue, a First Amendment issue because it's a private company. No, it is. This is the government pressuring a company to shut down communication. And this is this is significant. And it opens them up to legal ramifications in Section 230 uh, ramifications, which I will describe uh, in a minute. I'll just finish telling you about uh, Twitter files part two. So another one is, uh, who have we got here? Project Veritas have have posted a video saying, hey, we've got leaks of people uh, in Twitter saying we, we shadow banned. So... Project Veritas was right all along, of course, not surprising. But here, here we are finally getting the receipts or more receipts to prove it. And is there any more in number two? I don't think so. So I think that's the end of of number two, Twitter Files Part Two. Let me explain why this is so significant uh, legally, and then we'll move on to Twitter Files Part Three. So first of all, there is a thing called the Communications and Decency Act. No, the Decency Media and Communications Act. I can't remember the the order of those words, DMCA, something like that in the US. And and it's a it's a legislation in the US where providers of communication services cannot be held responsible for the content on their platforms. So let's say you're a your your Telstra or your your what do you call AOL or whatever the what are they Sprint, whatever the telecommunication companies are over in the US. Uh, here we have Optus in Australia, Vodafone and so on. If if a terrorist uses your service to say uh organized terrorism you can't sue optus for the terrorist act right because they were just providing a service and so there is this there is this thing a section called section 230 in this um in this act communications act in the u.s where publishers like twitter facebook instagram linkedin so on social publishers they cannot be held liable for the content because they're not editors they do not control what the content is. And in fact, it says it in there that as long as they don't editorialize and they don't control, so they're not a newspaper, they're not, you know, discernible, they're, they're, they're not a someone with editorial control of what they put out. They're just a platform. They can't be held liable. And so they always point to Section 230 all the time to stop themselves from incurring the wrath of a billion million lawsuits, which would, I mean, you think about the trash that's said on social media, you know, that's a disaster. They don't want to be held liable for what is said on the platform. The problem is they are editors. So they are choosing what speech is allowed. And these 
you know, the Project Veritas leaks and now the actual screenshots of internal portals through these Twitter file dumps show that they are they are absolutely editors. And not only that, they are meddling in elections. They're literally shifted how much of the vote, you know, we debate over, but they'd certainly shifted some uh, in terms of refusing to release the Hunter Biden laptop story. Uh, and we've seen that in polls post, uh, people saying, did you vote for Biden? Yes. Would it have changed your vote if you heard about the laptop story? And they said, yes, we wouldn't have voted for Biden. So there would have been a significant shift. So they're literally changing the direction of elections. Therefore, the country, the US, therefore, the world, they are altering society with this. Uh, they now <clears throat> are potentially up uh, for liability under Section 230 because they they are not following the rules of Section 230. They should not have a free uh, a free pass, right? So this is huge. This this is a, a scary matter for Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and Google because they they definitely practice these policies, but to a stronger extent. As I said, with Facebook, they even tell you that they're doing it. So with this coming out, they would be quite worried shall we say. Not that Elon will come and purchase them and air their dirty laundry, but this is a significant development which will affect them. Uh, And frankly, I think that's a good thing. The more transparency, the better. So that's the legal risk there for uh, what is being released on Twitter. And good on Elon for releasing this potentially to his own detriment because he now owns Twitter. So if someone comes after Twitter for these wrongs of the past, he'll have to pay the bill. So an interesting thing uh, about all of this release has been Jay Bhattacharya himself talked about the emotional uh, fallout from all this. Let me read to you his tweet responding to this this Twitter drop. And it, and it says a lot to all of us about the gaslighting that's been going on. So let me, where has he put it? Oh, I've got to scroll down too much. So these podcasts will do pretty raw and, and uh, real. I'll be looking at the internet with you as I read it. Here it is. Here it is which is kind of cool, you know, you get to go through this with me. So here is uh, Jay Bhattacharya. Oh, no, I've lost it. Where is he gone? I reposted it, so I should be able to find it. Yes, he was talking about the emotional fallout for what he went through, uh, being told that he was crazy. And I think it's quite significant. If I can just find it, I'll read it to you. Okay, here it is. So Jay said, still trying to process my emotions on learning that Twitter blacklisted me. The thought that will keep me up tonight. Censorship of scientific discussion permitted policies like school closures and a generation of children were hurt. I'm curious about what role the government played in Twitter's suppression of COVID policy discussion. We will see with time, I suppose. Thank you, Barry Weiss and Elon Musk. Sunshine is the best disinfectant. So interesting that Jay opens this tweet saying, still trying to process my emotions on learning that Twitter blacklisted me. And Eric Weinstein made a very good point about this as the Twitter files part two dropped. He said uh, that the, in, in summary, he said, there is a huge catharsis that is occurring right now because of the undoing of gaslighting that everyone has experienced. For so long during the shadow banning days, psychological trauma was was dealt out by mainly the left but those in power saying the reason why you've got no reshares no retweets is because you're an idiot and your content sucks don't blame us that you tweet and no one no one likes your stuff or you put a post on instagram or facebook and you get one like it's because your content's rubbish you're an idiot shut up you trumpist idiot that was their their 
their accusation. Now, a lot of people would, you know, push back against that and say, no, that's, you know, I'm fine. They were quite strong. But the, the rest of us were, were starting to wonder, well, how much of that is true? So, for example, on our Facebook, we have 92,000 genuine followers. We've never purchased uh, fake followers. 92,000 on Discernible's Facebook. And we can literally post a post and get one like, zero comments. And this has happened multiple times. That, my friends, is statistically impossible. I could post a picture of a banana to 92,000 people and there would be at least one, two, three, five likes or a laugh react or a comment saying you're an idiot or something, right? 92,000 people do not give you one like and zero comment. That's ridiculous, statistically impossible. So that is what we're talking about. That's shadow man. But that goes on long enough. You start to wonder, well, am I posting crap? You know, is is my is my uh, are my posts stupid? Should I sh- should I stop? Uh, all this kind of thing because if, if it happens long enough, you start to question. Well, there, this um, psychological trauma uh, onto people because it's not just about your social media following. Who cares about that? It's about you're an idiot. No one cares about you. The whole world loves Daniel Andrews and Victoria. The whole world loves Biden. You're all in an echo chamber. You're all stupid. Um, you're a dying dinosaur breed who cares about human rights. That's what they tell you. And over time, that can do damage to your sense of place in the world. I don't know about you, but during the, the mandatory masking period in uh, in Australia, you know, I developed, I can't, I'm a strong guy, but I developed anxiety getting out of the car going into the supermarkets because you just get yelled at and screamed at so often, eventually it wears on you. Uh, and I, I just would spend often five or up to sort of 10 minutes in the car just like, come on, I've got to get out of this car, go in and buy my buy my bananas. Uh, but I, I just, you know, really struggled to the point where often I might need something from the shop. And I thought, no, I just, I'm not going to go. I'll just go without because it was too um, psychologically traumatic to be screamed at every time I went out. Th- that's what we're talking about. Screaming at people, you're an idiot and, and, and so on with your, your, no one cares about your posts. But turns out, no, it was completely true. Shadow burning is true. Here are the screenshots. So there's a huge catharsis happening, which is amazing to, to say to people, you're not crazy. Now, this is Twitter. Twitter has always been less censorious than Facebook and YouTube. Instagram's not so bad, but Facebook and YouTube are definitely the number one censors, followed by Twitter and then probably LinkedIn and Instagram. So... Whatever we've just covered going on over Twitter is happening in multiples uh, we we could reasonably estimate, extrapolate at the other companies. And it's not even just an extrapolation. As I said, I have a screenshot from Facebook saying as much. So there is not just censorship going on. There is a psychological war going on to shift the Overton window falsely to one side to say, no one agrees with you. If you believe in human rights, you're crazy. If you believe in deontological ethics, you're crazy. If you believe in bodily autonomy for vaccines, you're crazy. If you believe in uh, lockdowns are bad, you're crazy. If you believe in protesting uh, peacefully, uh, you're crazy. Everyone thinks you should stay at home. And and so that's why we're allowed to shoot you in the back with rubber bullets, as they did in Melbourne, as they fled around a corner of a CBD. Uh, it's in the back, in the back as they're fleeing. Same with the shrine as they're fleeing. So that kind of psychological gaslighting is is disgusting but you know we can all fall prey to that i think unless you're a very strong mind of which i don't think i'm one so that is great i think we need to see this coming to facebook instagram and others as well somehow and hopefully the pressure from this will put pressure on the others as well but at a minimum we can estimate and extrapolate that 
we should not be believing a crowd that says something so definite as you, as for example, uh, deontological ethics are crazy or your um, anti-lockdowners are cookers and crazy. That statement may be true for some anti-lockdowners and cookers and whatever, but you can't take that as a, um, if you see a hundred people saying that on social and one person pushing back, you can, you can't take that as an indication of the popularity of that view within the community because of all this censorship. We must keep that in mind. What is the real average person thinking on the street? I can tell you right now with the election in Melbourne, Victoria, with um, our benevolent dictator, uh, Daniel Andrews, famous around the world for his shenanigans, he was he just romped it in with a Dan slide number two, 56 seats it looks like he'll get, which is bigger than the 55 seats he got in 2018 Dan slide, which was said that will never be repeated. Well, he just did better. Well, he did that seat result with fewer primary votes, so fewer people voted for Labor. And this is the thing, you go around hearing the I stand with Dan people saying he won the election. That's true. They say he won it very strongly. That's true. Um, they had a better result than last time. That's true. Uh, lots of Victorians voted Labor government back in. That's true. But then they go on to the next bit where they say, nobody likes the Liberals. You're an idiot. Not true. Nobody voted for your idiot Matthew Guy. Not true. Nobody voted for the Freedom Parties. They're irrelevant. Re- re- Not true. 90% of us, 100% of us love Daniel Andrews. Not true. Numerically, arithmetically, statistically, empirically, not true because the primary vote for Labor in Victoria was 37%, down from 40, it was a 5.8% swing, so down from 43-ish. So 37%, the vote for Liberal National Coalition, the other team, the right-wing team, was uh, 45, uh, sorry, 35, so 37, 35 approximately, votes haven't fully been counted yet, 37, 35, and then uh, 11% for the Greens, and then the other, the, the rest was at 10, 15% is 17% is the rest is to uh, minor parties and others, freedom parties and so on, uh, and Victorian socialists and others. So the point being, if you walk out on the streets of any city, but let's just use Melbourne for a moment. If you walk out on the, on the streets of Melbourne today and you meet 10 people, only 3.7 voted for the left-wing socialist. Uh, he's literally from the socialist faction of the Labor Party. The left-wing socialist, 3.7 of those 10 you met voted for him, for, for that party. 3.5 people, so almost the same number, voted for the uh, uh, classical, classically liberal, or, or they're a bit a wet liberal, but anyway, the liberal national, more center-right party, or right-wing party. Uh, oof, gee, I don't know if center-right is even the right thing to call them nowadays, center-left, but anyway... Uh, 3.5 voted for them, almost the same. And then one person voted for the Greens and then um, 1.7, so almost two people voted for other parties. So your experience walking on the street of Melbourne <clears throat> is three, you know, that kind of a mix. You, you, you're going to run into as many Daniel Andrews lovers as Daniel Andrews haters who voted for the Liberals, right? So this rings true as well for every other country and every other election. You see a result and in this case, social media telling you it's all one side. But the truth is not that. The, tr- the truth is different to what they're presenting to you. So just keep that in mind, what you experience in your everyday world versus what they tell you either through like an election where he won, our guy won all the seats, but the primary vote doesn't back up his popularity. Uh, or if it's social media telling you that you're all crazy, you need to get with the program and, and get vaxxed or whatever it is. No, it's it's actually more diverse and balanced than you expect. Now, Let's do 
Number three, this is released on Matt Taibbi's uh, Twitter. I'm very excited to, I've literally just seen the headline. I've not read this, okay? He's got 27 tweets here. We're gonna go through live together. And I hope you're enjoying our new uh, little editorial podcast format. All right, click in. Well, he's still releasing it. So he's up to number 27 and he released that two minutes ago. So I need to scroll all the way back to number one. And this is all about the banning of Donald Trump from Twitter, banning of a sitting president. He was president at the time. Okay, my friends, number one, oh, let me do an ad before we do that. Our brand Team Human is amazing. It's, it's a brand designed to push back against the division and the misanthropy on the world today. Misanthropy is the uh, hatred of the human species. And that's a strong way to put it, but that is definitely what we're seeing. When someone says to you, humans are a cancer on the planet, or we need to sterilize ourselves to prevent what we're doing to the planet. That's that's right right at the well-developed form of misanthropy. But there are also more subtle forms when this general idea that humans are so terrible, humans are bad for the planet, human, just we need to minimize, we need to shrink the population because there's too many humans, or even just soft things like, oh, it's such a beautiful rainforest. Yeah, it's sad though, because, uh, you know, when humans come along, they wreck everything. There is some fa- some real facts behind that argument of, of um, habitat destruction and the way we, ha- we have not stewarded the planet well. You know, we have responsibility over this planet in my my view, in my deontological worldview, and we should look after it well. But it easily slips into humans are a cancer, right? Humans are destructive. Humans are terrible. And that is, humans have done so many good things. To, to, to look at some of the amazing things humans have done, look up Steven Pinker, right? He documents a lot of what human achievements have done. Amazing. Uh, we, I think humans are a net force for good in the planet today. And and that's this idea of our brand team, human, our T-shirts, our caps, our stickers, um, everything we do over there, at our watches, which are soon to arrive, is about, no, uh, we are a team and the enemy is death and destruction and poverty and all the default states of, of, of the world. That's default. We have done everything we can to conquer sickness and poverty and lack uh, and death. And we are a team. And what team are you on? Which team are you on? Well, I'm on Team Human. I think we're amazing. Okay. And so our brand Team Human, go check out the merch at teamhuman.au, teamhuman.au. Cool stuff. I wear it myself. I only put stuff on there, including the leggings. I only put stuff on there that I want to wear myself. The only thing on there that I don't wear because I can't fit it is the women's shirts. I have to wear the male shirts, but I do wear the women's leggings. All right. So let's talk about number three, the Twitter files, part three, the removal of Donald Trump. The world knows much of the story of what happened between riots on the Capitol on January 6th. I'm just reading the tweets. On the riots at the Capitol on January 6th and the removal of President Donald Trump on January 8th. So two days after the Capitol um, riot. I'm not sure that they're riots from what I've seen, but whatever. We'll show you what hasn't been revealed. The erosion of standards within the company in the months before January 6th and decisions by high-ranking executives to violate their own policies against the backdrop of ongoing documented interaction with federal agencies. This is interesting because Donald Trump has just said uh, that this proves, I mean, he says this all the time, right? But he says that it proves that the uh, 2020 election was rigged. But let's let's go through. Uh, The first installment, which we're reading now, covers the period before the election through to the January 6th riots. Tomorrow, uh, Schellenberger, MD, it's Michael Schellenberger, better follow him, follow 
uh, will detail the chaos inside Twitter on January the 7th, the day after the riots. On Sunday, so this next day, Barry Weiss again will reveal the secret internal communications from the key date of January the 8th. Wow, this is huge. All right, so we're just talking about everything that happened up until the riots at the Capitol. Okay, uh, okay, so even Twitter's employees understood in the moment it was a landmark moment in the annals of speech. And here's a screenshot from them internally saying, is this the first sitting head of state to ever be suspended? Hmm. As soon as they finished banning Trump, Twitter execs started processing new power. They prepared to ban future presidents and White Houses, perhaps even Joe Biden. The new administration, says one exec, will not be suspended by Twitter unless absolutely necessary. What the hell is going on here? Let's read this. So this is an internal screenshot. It says, as stated in our ban evasion policy, blah, blah, blah. If it is clear that another account is being used for the purposes of evading a ban, it is also subject to suspension. For government accounts such as POTUS and White House, we will not suspend those accounts, but will take action to limit their use. However, these accounts will be transitioned over to the new administration in due course, said Biden, and will not be suspended by Twitter unless absolutely necessary to alleviate real world harm. So here they are saying that so Trump has his real Donald Trump account and then he has a POTUS account and there's a White House account. And they're saying that they're not going to ban the government accounts as they will be transferred to Biden soon anyway. Twitter executives removed Trump in part over what one executive called the context, and I quote, context surrounding. Okay, Context surrounding actions by Trump and supporters over the course of the election and frankly the last four years. Ha! So they're saying uh, for four years they've been naughty so we don't like them. Okay, let's click in. Hi, Vijaya. I'm working with blank on my team to put together a doctor share with your POV, point of view, POV from research uh, on Donald J. Trump's language as coded incitement to further violence. In the meantime, here is our quick take. The decision on whether to pull that particular tweet or use that as a last straw for Trump depends on many factors, including whether the overall context and narrative in which that tweet lives uh you can use the yelling fire into a crowded theater example context matters and the narrative that trump and his friends have pursued over the course of his elect of this election and frankly the last four years must be taken into account when interpreting and analyzing that tweet and the larger question is around our moral imperative and decision as a company which user sentiment should not drive based on number one. I don't understand the sentence. And I believe that his tweet does violate our rules when taking that historical context and current climate into account. So they're saying that based on one tweet, he may not be able to be banned or violative of the policies, but looking over his subjectively, biasly, looking at his actions over the last four years, I reckon he's a pretty bad dude. And so I think we should ban him anyway. All right. Back to back to Matt Taibbi on Twitter. The bulk of the internal debate leading to Trump's ban took place in those three January days. However, the intellectual framework was laid out in the months preceding the Capitol riots, which is what we're seeing now. Before January 6, Twitter was a mix of automated rules-based enforcement and more subjective moderation by senior executives. As Barry Weiss reported, the firm had a vast array of tools for manipulating visibility, like shadow banning. Most all of which were thrown at Trump and others pre-January 6. As the election approached, senior executives at Twitter, perhaps under pressure from federal agencies, we haven't got any proof of that yet, 
of in, in with the Trump banning, it seems, but we do have it with other issues as we've talked about in part one. With whom they met more as time progressed, increasingly struggled with rules and began to speak of Vios. What's Vios? V-I-O-S. Vios as pretext to do what they'd like have done anyway. Uh, that's something about, yeah, I don't know what Vios is. After January 6th writes, internal Slack showed Twitter executives getting a kick out of intensified relationships with federal agencies. All right, here is federal, here is the trust and safety head of Twitter, Yol Roth, who's now been fired, lamenting a lack, I think he was fired or quit, who cares, uh, lamenting a lack of generic enough calendar descriptions to concealing his very interesting meeting partners. Okay, here we go. Yol Roth, it happened, he says, it happens. I'm a big believer in calendar transparency, but I reached a certain point where my meetings became dot, 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 very interesting dot, 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 to people and they and there weren't meeting names generic enough to cover. Someone replies and says, very boring business meeting. That is definitely not about Trump. Wink, wink. Yol Roth says, pretty much. Then Yol Roth says again, definitely not meeting with the FBI, I swear, in a sarcastic tone. Okay. There you go. So they are being talked to by government. Well, I guess that's close to a receipt. It's not definitive proof, but it looks like it. These initial reports are based on searches for docs linked to prominent executives whose names are already made public. Roth, Vijaya, blah, 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 blah. Jim Baker, the FBI lawyer who was employed by Twitter. One particular Slack channel offers a unique window into the evolving thinking of top officials. Uh, here we go. What does it say? executives opened a new channel on slack called us 2020 xfn enforcement uh, it's all about election related removals especially ones that involved high profile accounts often called vits or very important tweeters here is someone saying oh, i'm just reading through it i don't know if i should read it all out it's quite quite weird and boring uh uh, just saying we need to get on top of this. We need to remove people that cause election issues, blah, blah, blah. Okay. There's some tension internally. Uh, okay. The latter group were a high-speed Supreme Court of Moderation issuing content rulings on the fly. Yes, that's true. That's the SIP pairs we talked about earlier. Uh, so SIP pairs were issuing content rulings on the fly, often in minutes and based on guesses and gut calls. Uh, even in, in cases involving the president. So here's one. Internal Slack message screenshot. There's a Donald J. Trump tweet saying, breaking news, 50,000 Ohio voters getting wrong absentee ballots out of control, a rigged election. Then a Twitter employee says internally, a rigged election would be enough to be in violation of our rules, right? <laughs> then Yol Roth says, if the claim of fact were inaccurate, yes. But it looks like that is true. And then he posts an NPR link saying, yeah, it's true. Um, Donald Trump was correct. Ooh, they're trying to ban this guy. Uh, during this time, back to Matt Taibbi. During this time, executives were also clearly liaising with federal enforcement and intelligence agencies about moderation of election-related content. Uh, da, da, da. Yep, cool. He says, uh, Matt Taibbi says, we're still at the start of reviewing all of the Twitter files that um, Elon Musk is giving him. We're finding out more about these interactions every day. Hmm. 
Oh, and there's something about uh, just just there's so many. So I'm up to tweet 19. There's so much in here. If you want to check it out, just go onto Twitter. I've retweeted it. You can look at us at Discernible Co. Or you can look up Matt Taibbi. Uh, okay, here. Yeah, okay. They're trying to. Yeah, all right. Oh, okay. Here's a screenshot showing Yoel Roth has been meeting weekly with the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security. Hmm. And with the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. So this is the government fully. Wow. That's full on. Weekly. Roth's report. Uh, They're talking about how they blocked the laptop scandal to the FBI okay hmm. uh, more about your Roth meeting yeah, okay there's just a whole bunch of screenshots here uh, FBI sends a report about a pair of tweets about a pair of tweets to them and okay yeah so they're getting reports from the FBI of tweets and then they're taking them down the FBI's second report concerning this tweet up to tweet number 25 now. I think there's 29. Okay, then they add labels. They ban some. All right. Here's an interesting one. Matt Taibbi, the journalist who's doing this leaked number two, says, examining the entire election enforcement slack, which is like WhatsApp, right? Internal messaging. We did not see one reference to moderation requests from the Trump campaign, the Trump White House, or Republicans generally. We looked for them. They may exist. We were told that they do exist. However, they were absent here. So that's Matt Taibbi saying that they have found a bunch of left... Oh my goodness, he's up to 35 now. Sorry, we're up to 27 and 45-minute podcast. Well, I hope you're enjoying whatever you're doing with me in your ears. Okay, 27. Okay, so so right-wing... So Trump campaign is not pressuring... Well... Matt Taibbi is saying they have not found any evidence of the of Trump and the right wing pressuring Twitter to censor, but they have found heaps from the left. Keep in mind, at the time, Trump was in power, and it doesn't seem to matter. You know, Biden has got all the power here. They're all doing what Biden wants, even though he was just a um, candidate; he wasn't president. Uh, okay, in one case, uh, Arizona Governor. Mike Huckabee joke tweets about mailing in ballots for his deceased parents and grandparents. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely happening in the US. Um, oh, there's a Slack where uh, one employee of Twitter is saying to others, I agree it's a joke. Uh, this guy, this Arizona governor, is literally tweeting, is literally admitting in a tweet a crime. <laughs> That's so bad. He's not going to jail. That's not how this world works. However, the group declares in this Slack message group that he's an edge case. And so we don't make exceptions for jokes or satire. They ultimately decide to leave him be because, and I quote, we've poked enough bears. (laughs) See, they leave up this this guy's um, admission of crime. Uh, I should tell you if he's left or right. Uh, Mike Huckabee. I reckon he's a Democrat. Mike Huckabee 
is a American politician, political commentator. He's the governor of Arkansas, candidate for the Republican Party. Well, Republican. He was a candidate for the Republican Party presidential nomination in 2008 and 2016. This is good that they are applying this to the right wing. Looks like he's a Republican. There you go. All right. Back to Matt Tavey. So they've said uh, he's a an edge case and we'll leave him be because we poked too many bears. Okay, interesting. Uh, going on, number 33. Roth suggests that in this absurd case, moderation could depend on whether or not the joke results in confusion. <laughs> how ridiculous is this? See, how, this is section 230. They're definitely editors. Uh, in the going on, number 34 is the intent authentic, blah, 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 boring. Number 35, in another example, Twitter employees prepare to slap a mail-in voting is safe label warning on Trump tweet about postal screw-up in Ohio before realizing that the events actually took place, which meant the tweet was factually accurate. <laughs> All right, I think, I'm, I think we're up to date. Uh, that was six minutes ago, number 35. So it looks like, what are we up to? 35, no, there's more, there's more, sorry. 36. Trump was being visibly filtered as late as a week before the election. This is so wrong because you've got two candidates trying to win the presidency and you're filtering one, not the other. Here, senior execs didn't appear to have a particular violation, but still worked fast to make sure um, a normal Trump tweet couldn't be replied to or shared or liked. Let's read the screenshots here. Okay, there's a screenshot here of a Trump tweet. It's got labels all over it because he says, big problems and discrepancies with mail-in ballots all over the USA must have final total on November 3rd. And then there's labels everywhere all over it. And then there's an internal message saying, what's the team's recommendation? Yol asks. Uh, someone else posts a Google Doc link. And then Yol says, thank you. Agree with the recommendation. Flagging right now with leadership given its POTUS present. Uh, and then someone else says, we'll set up a call. Then Yol says, can we use a new doc per PII review? And then someone else says, okay, we will also include that in our playbook afterwards. Okay. Don't really understand that one either, but uh seems like they're having a field day banning Trump. In another example, what's this one say? Click, click. Aha. Uh -huh. Trump just posted these two tweets, says a Twitter employee. Uh, da, 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 da. Not sure what we what the process is. Are we expected to do the policy comms right up for this? Uh, Yol comes online. Uh, someone says, sorry, before Yol comes, someone says, I'm not 100% up to speed. My understanding in both cases is that the events actually took place and that the commentary by the president in his opinion related to these real events so that there wouldn't be any labeling or violation on our side. Yol says, yeah, dot, dot, dot. Those are factually accurate, dot, dot, dot. So he's not sounding too happy about that. And I think we're at the end of number two, my friends, if you stayed this far. Um, oh, no, here we go. One more. Uh, here we go. They say, oh, who said well done on speed? So let's inform stakeholders, blah, blah, blah. Let's um, put labels onto Trump's tweet, draft, blah, blah, blah. And then it says, well done on speed, folks. Um, this is a huge positive for the platform. Okay, so con congratulations on censoring the president. And then there is a seeming innocuous follow-up tweet involving uh, Real James Woods. Real James Woods, the actor. So Real James Woods says, 
Twitter is suppressing this tweet by the president. Here's a screen grab. And it... Uh, I don't know what Matt Toby's saying about this. Something about them laughing about it. Anyway, sorry, it's a bit disjointed as I read this live on air for you. So there you go. That's Twitter Files Part 2. And it seems uh, we are going to be hearing Part 3, I can't believe it, tomorrow. They're saying that they're going to drop more tomorrow. Let me see if I can tell you what that's going to be about. So my friends, that is the Twitter file drop part two, just showing uh, a bit of insight into um, so part three. Sorry, we just read. I think part two was the best. Part two showed legit screenshots of the banning portals and part three just showed kind of the the talk around um, how they bet the, the, the feel inside Twitter um, as they banned uh, Donald Trump. So there you go, friends. Uh, That is our first little editorial podcast where I hope I brought you up to date so you don't have to scroll through Twitter. And uh, I don't know, I guess people following Discern will like to hear from me. And there you go. Uh, I'm very excited to have some transparency and I welcome it. And I uh, welcome your feedback, please. I really need it in the first initial days of this podcast. There's over a thousand, there's about 1,500 people, I think, uh, per per episode, uh, listen to oh no, I think it was a bit over two thousand, somewhere around there, sort of fifteen hundred to two thousand people per episode listen to these now. Uh, and I need to hear from you. Send me an email or or drop me on just somewhere on socials. Just talk back to me. You can't talk back to me through Spotify or Apple Podcasts. So I need you to somehow get in contact with me, Instagram, whatever, Twitter, and just tell me, hey, do the audio podcasts are good? Keep doing them. Or, hey, make them shorter or whatever. Because at the end of the day, I, I, I want to be helpful. And the, um, the Spotify and, and podcast crew, you're only hearing from us like once every two weeks because we only do a long-form interview once a, for a brief period when we could afford it. We were doing like one, three or four a week. But now, you know, I've we've lost our staff and it's not been good. So we're only doing like one every two two weeks one interview so um i just want to give you more more from us more to listen to on on your in your ears so let me know what you think about it and we will based on your feedback we will keep doing these some of the topics i'd like to do a lot of people have been talking to me about you know i go on and on about ethics because i think that's the key problem underneath a lot of our issues today and um, they say, I could listen to you talk about ethics for hours. Well, guess what? I'm going to abuse your ears by talking about ethics for hours. So some of these hour-long chats, I'd like to do one on ethics and just talk to you about what I've discovered about ethics. Uh, and and uh, the cool thing about Discernible is none of this is about my wisdom. I don't have wisdom. I'm, I'm a bit of an idiot, really, in, in, in one sense. Like, I'm a smart dude. I get that. But I'm also a bit of an idiot in that I don't have a lot of original stuff to say. I just simply showcase for you uh, greats of the past which is why people say, you sound, you're so wise, Matt. Well, yes, I am because I'm not wise because I grab the wisdom of the past. I repackage it for you and I tell you what the greats of the past, their wisdom says. And so now you think I'm wise, but it's really, I'm just repackaging. So look, I'm going to talk to you about ethics for a while in another episode. And then I'd like to do um, uh, other episodes on on some pretty important topics. One of them is is the, uh, the case in New Zealand of the removing the baby. So medical ethics, the case of, removing the baby because the, the parents uh, wanted them to have unvaccinated blood and they were, had donors lined up. Uh, and then uh, the hospital said no for a, a legitimate 
um, I think it's morally corrupt. But a legitimate utilitarian perspective, they refuse to allow the parents to have choice in the type of blood. And so the plea, the high court ruled that the custody, that they would basically medically kidnap the baby. The, the hospital takes uh, custody of the baby for the duration of the operation and the recovery. So that's uh, now at the beginning of December, operation today, 10th of the 10th of December through to sometime in January, the, the, the hospital will have custody medically uh, of the baby. And so this video that we've posted uh, on Twitter and on Instagram stories of, of them removing the baby. Uh, so yeah, I'd love to talk about that. Also would love to talk about some other topics like uh, uh, creative destruction in business, um, uh, self-reliance in terms of uh, the way you can diversify your income. I mean, you've heard that before, right? But this is not meant to sell you anything. It's just meant to tell you um, some cool information I've read from, example, Joseph Schumpeter. He's a great business thinker or, or Peter Drucker or um, just some cool stuff that tickles my brain. I would also love to talk a, a little bit more about some of the more interesting things in our world like uh, um you know, we did a gay pride uh, interview with Sam Eddy. So I'd lo- love to talk about that whole issue. Uh, I find that fascinating, pride. So I look forward to seeing you in the next podcast, Discernibillions. And uh, in the meantime, I'm just wearing right now my Team Human hat. I had lovely and embroidered. Go to teamhuman.au to represent. There's now, it was, I think we crossed 50 a week ago. I think now we're up to about 60 something people around Australia and one in the US who are rocking Team Human apparel. Our sweatshirts, um, a lot of our leggings have sold. Uh, Our shirts, we've got some really cool designs on our shirts that I'm continually updating. And of course, we finish everything with a quote because my brain thinks in quotes. So today, the famous quote by Voltaire, those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. So when you see atrocities being committed around the place today, people, keep in mind the power of that atrocity is in fact the absurdity of belief behind it, which is why we need to talk about things like ethics, learn ethics, people. Because uh, fighting the absurdity level is important. That's fine. But honestly, what does it matter? Let's say, for example, you you really want to have someone to come in and fix the craziness of Joe Biden in the US and the way he's destroying, he's destroying some parts of that country. You vote your guy in. Okay, you get a reprieve for four years. What happens after that? There's someone waiting in the wings, Okay. The same with Victoria in Australia. You boot down out for four years, fine. What comes after that? Because the reality is a lot of our people in the world today have no idea of what their ethics are. They're unable to mount an argument of what is right and what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. And so I'm not advocating, I'm not telling you which way in particular to think, but I will lay out for you. Uh, what the different ways to think about morals and ethics and whatever uh, topics that I cover are so that you can be more informed. And I think that will change the face of our our reality. If people had a definite understanding of, no, I believe in socialism and here is why. That's quite okay to me because at the moment we're sliding into things like socialism and into utilitarian horrors because not because people love utilitarianism and Jeremy Bentham's panopticon and so on. No, because they don't know what they like. They don't know what they believe. And so you have governments and powerful authority figures like corporations. They come along and, and they and, and multi 
international organizations like the World Economic Forum, they come along and they convince the middle sleepy majority where all the power is. They convince them to go a particular way because the middle goes, what's the problem? It's not that bad. What's the problem? And that, my friends, is the biggest threat to our society. It is not the people on one side saying, you've got to believe Jesus. It's not the other people on the other side saying, you've got to believe in the state. No, it's the people in the middle saying, what's the problem, bro? It's all good. That is what is destroying our society. And that, my friends, is why we need to have conversations. You need to start making normalizing uh, conversations about ethics and so on. All right. Bye. Bye. See you next time.